From the Moan Broadcast Center, this is Air Talk. Good morning. I'm Larry Mantle. Portions of L.A., Santa Monica, and Long Beach are cleaning up after looting and arson over the past three nights. In each case, the destruction either occurred following or concurrent with nearby peaceful protests. It's challenged local authorities' ability to host protests and respond to attacks on businesses. Protesters are also facing a dilemma over future events given the violence near their marches. We'll hear from listeners with a variety of perspectives about our recent trying events. We'll also bring you our daily update on COVID-19 and concerns that have been raised with thousands of people coming together in closed spaces. We'll get underway right after NPR News. Just a few days ago, at the top of the list of concerns, the novel coronavirus. And we will have today our update on COVID-19. Our medical expert will join us, particularly talk about the concerns raised over thousands of people coming together shoulder to shoulder in peaceful protests, as well as people uh, taking part in rioting in some parts of Los Angeles, Santa Monica, uh, Long Beach as well and uh, the potential health outcomes from that. But we begin with efforts to try and restore order and to allow for peaceful protest in cities like Santa Monica, Long Beach, and Los Angeles. We begin with a news conference that took place just about an hour ago, in which Santa Monica Police Chief Cynthia Renault talked about the reasons for a very early curfew for the middle of the city. We're monitoring intelligence activity at this moment to be prepared for whatever else might come our way. And we're putting physical barriers in place to ensure the protection of our city. There will be no tolerance for looting. There is a curfew in place here in Santa Monica, 1 p.m. today in our business district, 4 p.m. today citywide. With us, Mayor Pro Tem of the city of Santa Monica, Terry O'Day. Mayor O'Day, thank you for being with us. Um, just share with us uh, the day after what what um, what have you seen in the way of numbers of protests and where are the individuals uh, who were taken into custody for looting? Where where were they from? Thank you, Larry. Thank you for caring about our community. Uh, today, we have hundreds of volunteers who have picked up a broom at their house and a dustpan and come down to join us at our business district to clean up this mess. Um, we had four, we had more than 400 arrests last night and those folks have been carted off to jails. They're currently being processed. Some are being released. Um, the 95% of those arrests were people who do not reside in Santa Monica. 95% were non-Santa Monicans. It appeared that as concurrently you had that peaceful protest, uh, large numbers of people coming down Ocean Avenue, and with law enforcement occupied there, then you had car after car. It started very small. It looked like at the Vans um, shoe store, people coming in, taking out boxes of shoes. But then it became um, a free-for-all with stores in the business district. Um I assume this went out on social media, but what what have you been able to glean about how that activity occurred? 
Well, you could see it unfolding just as you described, Larry. And on the street, what that looked like was carloads of people coming into town, unloading, breaking a window, going into the store, unloading that store, telling their friends, we just opened up this store. Now new carloads come over to that store. They empty out. They empty out the store. They fill the car. And then they leave empty out the car at home, and they come back in. And that was happening for hours in our downtown. And while our police were occupied, um, they had important priorities. You know, I'm happy to say that we had no loss of life, no serious injuries. The protesters were uh, able to, uh, to get their message out in a safe and responsible way. Um, but once our police had secured the positions with the protesters and some of the important landmarks like the city hall and the police headquarters and the Santa Monica Pier, eventually Santa Monica Place Mall, they were locked into those positions and we could not distribute them throughout the city. We were just overwhelmed by the number of uh, people that were coming in and looting. And so we had to wait for mutual aid resources from the other neighboring cities to come to our support. Uh, eventually they did. And finally, the National Guard, when they arrived at 7 p.m., could take over those positions that our police had secured and our police could pan through the city to restore order on all of the streets and neighborhoods. In hindsight, given what happened the night before along Melrose, where you had a peaceful protest and then you had a night of arson and looting, would it have made sense to use mutual aid because you knew you were going to have a large protest and bring officers in to stop the initial break-ins to the stores to send the message it wasn't open season on those stores? Well, we are literally uh, Monday morning quarterbacking the Sunday activities now, and uh, we will, for the next many weeks, be trying to evaluate how could we do this better, what does this mean for our institutions, how can we all be better prepared for anything that could come our way, and what you suggest, I think, is absolutely right. But I think our mutual aid system is built on the notion that, um, that you know, each of the city's forces are in place to protect that city. And when the need arises in a neighboring city, then those mutual aid resources are deployed. So it may well be that, um, you know, it is not responsive enough to the current dynamic of a social media-driven frenzy that we saw yesterday. If you'd like to comment about what happened, I'm particularly interested in hearing from Santa Monica and Long Beach residents, residents of uh, Mid-City Los Angeles, where you were most affected by the events that went on. We're at 866-893-KPECC, 866-893-5722. Again, you can comment on the AirTalk page at kpecc.org. So you've got this early curfew for the business district at 1 o'clock today and a full curfew at 4 o'clock. But as I recall yesterday, there weren't arrests made after the curfew went into place until quite late into the evening for curfew violations. Is that what you're anticipating today, that people will not be arrested on the misdemeanor charge of curfew violation until late? No, we have a very different dynamic today. Um, and we want everyone to be clear that these curfews will be enforced at 1 p.m. In, in the business district and 4 p.m. throughout the city. And here's why it's a different dynamic. As I described, our police force was um, occupied with the protesters and securing the positions that we had in place. 
and arresting people throughout the city is a very labor-intensive activity. Today is a different day because we have 100 National Guard uh, reservists in our city taking up those secure positions throughout the city. We still have uh, neighboring agencies supporting us as we restore order and process the arrests from last night. And our police now stands available to maintain order throughout the city and to issue those arrests as needed once the curfew begins. We're talking with the mayor pro tem of Santa Monica, Terry O'Day. Uh, mayor O'Day, what, um, what's been the response from your Santa Monica residents? It has been first heartbreak. And we were, to be clear, all already heartbroken. No one who has seen that video of George Floyd's murder could possibly not be moved with deep emotions during this time. And our business community was just beginning to open up on the heels of the pandemic and the LA County health orders to allow us to reopen. And then this hit. And so our community watched as uh, our whole region did on television, these images of ransacking of our stores. And today uh, the mood has turned to recovery. We have hundreds of people who have picked up rooms and joined us in the central business district and on our boulevards to help our shopkeepers recover. And in, in the end, you know, we're thinking about how yesterday went down and we'll be working through the analysis for some time. But we are proud that no one lost their lives. There were no serious injuries. And yeah, we have some broken glass and we have some insurance claims and we're going to get this cleaned up and we're going to deal with it. Uh, uh, Mayor Pro Tem Santa Monica, Terry O'Day, let's talk with Catherine joining us from Montana Avenue in Santa Monica. You're on Air Talk. Yes. Hi, Mayor. I'm just uh, baffled that you say we have some broken glass. We have our downtown area decimated, a lot of Montana Avenue. And considering that we knew this march was going to happen, the peaceful march, why wasn't there more planning and more arranging for for help? Uh, apparently, the National Guard was patrolling in Pacific Palisades um, yesterday, so they were able to put in help for, to guard their place. But Santa Monica PD just stood around and watched the looters run right by them and all night. They didn't start arresting people till late in the night. All right. Uh, Terry O'Day. Thank you, Catherine. I understand the frustration, and I experienced it myself. When I saw these images, I grabbed my teenager and our dog, and we went down to the Central Business District, and we, we thought we could help. We saw people standing in front of doors at our stores and, and trying to protect them ourselves. But look, there was just absolutely overwhelming volumes of people in this city yesterday, and they were all here for one purpose. Every single car I saw on the street was filled with looters, and they were all filling their arms and breaking through windows uh, to get goods out of these stores. It was a shopping spree, and our police had planned for the protest that could, that was in the hundreds, could have been in the thousands of people. So we went to the protest site. We anticipated the day before using intelligence from social media and other tools that, um, to identify where the protests would be. We secured the key sites. We secured the protests. And once those were secured, we could not distribute our police force throughout the city. Uh, losing those positions meant uh, putting our police officers at risk 
by spreading them out. And we had to wait for that mutual aid. We had to wait for the National Guard. Why the National Guard didn't show up, I think, is an important question for us as a state and as a region. Um, why they couldn't get here sooner, why perhaps they secured other cities. Well, when did you request the mayor day? We requested the National Guard in the morning. Okay, and what time did uh, the first unit arrive? We had them on the ground at 7 p.m. Okay. Uh, well, and, and it could be because it, were they redeployed from other communities or were those fresh National Guards people coming first to Santa Monica? These were, uh, I can't say for sure. I don't know that one, Mark. Terry O'Day, anything else before we let you go? Yes, you know, um, we are all grieving as a nation and we want social justice to to, uh, to, to go forward and to address this killing. Um, and we get social change by peacefully protesting, by engaging in our community and by voting. And that's the important way to make social change happen. And we cannot be distracted by the acts of lawless people. I've got to ask those kids who were loading up their cars yesterday, you know, was it worth the new pair of vans that you're wearing today? Because a man died in Minneapolis. And was it his death about you getting a new pair of sneakers? Let's all get focused and actually make change happen in this country. And then racism now. Mayor Terry O'Day, the news conference in Santa Monica began with solidarity with the peaceful protesters uh, over the police custody death in Minnesota, as well as uh, over policing generally in the United States, then went on to share the concerns about the devastation to the business community of Santa Monica uh, and the threats to public buildings in the city. That's Mayor Pro Tem Terry O'Day of Santa Monica coming up at 11 o'clock this morning. We'll have the live news conference from Long Beach, where there also has been significant criticism from residents about the police response uh, Uh, to uh, looting and uh, damage, including arson that took place in Long Beach's central business district, um, which had already been heavily economically challenged, at the same time that thousands of people were peacefully protesting in the city of Long Beach. With us, KPECC reporter Emily Guerin. Uh, Emily, thank you for joining us. You uh, share with us what you observed. Hi, Larry. So I'm on uh, the corner of Lincoln and Broadway right now. Yesterday at around 6 p.m., I was here. Um, there were police officers uh, all up and down the street. There was something on fire on Broadway, and it's just a totally. Uh, there was also looting going on. Really different scene today. There's so many people out. Like I'm literally following a line of people carrying brooms and dustpans and paint remover. There's so many people out right now um, removing graffiti, um, talking to business owners. It's really kind of a hopeful scene. It's kind of incredible how many people are out here right now. And I spoke to a group of four women who are longtime Santa Monica residents picking up glass outside of Mills Diner on Lincoln Boulevard, who um, just sort of broke down crying. A couple of them did as we were talking. They were so scared last night and so concerned about the the sort of businesses in downtown Santa Monica. Uh, They said they, they very much empathized with the message of protesters, but just thought the looting was was terrifying, and so they wanted to come out to help this morning. Uh, it sounds like it might have been therapeutic for them to do that, too, Emily's sense of community in response to this. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's a little therapeutic for me, too, because it was pretty terrifying being out here last night, and it's just so, um, 
it's just kind of amazing to see everybody out here. You know, everyone's wearing masks. People are, I'm watching like four different sets of people removing graffiti right now. So um, it's pretty amazing. Emily, thank you so much for sharing a very different scene in the center of Santa Monica this morning from what she witnessed yesterday. Uh, I also wanted to mention that our colleague, uh, Adolfo Guzman-Lopez, who was out reporting in Long Beach uh, in the early evening yesterday, was shot in the neck with what he thinks was a rubber bullet, a projectile that hit him and opened a significant gash on his throat. Uh, He talked with us on our live coverage last night. I can't imagine uh, how shaken he must have been. After talking with us, he went to the hospital. Fortunately, there was no uh, damage to uh, his throat except for uh, the serious gash that was bandaged uh, and, uh, of course, the traumatic experience of enduring that. Uh, So we just want to wish the best to Adolfo, our dedicated colleague uh, who endured that terrible incident last night, being shot with um, uh, what he thought was a rubber bullet, and it certainly did significant damage to his his throat. Uh, the photos that he posted uh, on social media, really nasty looking, and we wish you all the best, Adolfo. 866-893-KPECC. We're talking with Angelinos about their experiences, the peaceful side, the protests against police brutality, and against the killing in uh, Minneapolis. At the same time, people's responses to what they've seen in their communities from arson, from graffiti, and from widespread looting. You're listening to Air Talk on 89.3 KPCC. Back in one minute. You're listening to Air Talk on 89.3 KPECC. Astro Goth writing on the Air Talk page says, Our appointed police chief was far less than prepared. The word, frankly, is incompetent. Our city hall was almost looted and burned. Times are rough here in Santa Monica. JPS, um, and this is speaking of uh, Mayor Pro Tem O'Day of Santa Monica. Uh, what does will not tolerate looting mean? I wish they could use some non-lethal method to stop rioters in their tracks, charge them all. I'm completely sympathetic with the concerns of Black Lives Matter that in no way justifies victimizing other people. Jack in Santa Monica says, given what we knew, what happened Saturday at the Grove, how is it the police chief of Santa Monica didn't ask the National Guard to be in Santa Monica Sunday morning? We just heard from the mayor pro tem that the request did go in. Sunday morning. Um, But of course, the peaceful protests began around midday, and uh, the National Guard was not dispatched to Santa Monica in time to be there once the looting of the stores began. Uh, David in Santa Monica says, I think our police did a good job. I was down along Ocean in Colorado, and even during the peaceful protests, the cops were being provoked. They did a good job at holding their ground and maintaining the line. That's David in Santa Monica. Francisco in Long Beach, uh, share with us. uh, I understand you were down in the downtown helping to clean up. Yes, this morning I got there around 8 a.m. They were asking for volunteers. And when they showed up, there had already been several hundred people that had shown up. I'm actually driving home right now, and I still see people all over the area of Long Beach cleaning up just debris and litter, just the community coming together after a hard night. Yeah, and so share with us what that, what that felt like for you being a part of that effort. <laughs> 
Um, I, I think for me, it was just, um, it was just nice to be out in the community. You know, my wife and I have only been in Long Beach for about a year and we, we really have felt welcomed here. So it's just really nice to be out there, out here with, um, you know, when you see everything on the news, it's so scary. So it's nice to be with everyone and talking to people and a part of the community and also just kind of bearing witness to the hurt that everybody is feeling right now. Francisco, thank you so much for joining us. Also in Long Beach, KPCC reporter Sharon McNary. Sharon, good morning. Uh, what are you seeing in the community there? Um, very much like what Francisco described. I got here shortly after 6 in the morning, and um, the first place I saw was the CVS Pharmacy near 6th and Long Beach Boulevard. And the fire alarm was still going on, and the place was wet from the sprinklers that had gone off, and the, the whole place was trashed. As I walked around some of the shops, people started showing up, you know, in ones and twos, and then by the dozen with brooms and buckets and shovels. And uh, just working as a community cleanup force. Even now, I just saw a crew of four guys walk by. They're all wearing the orange vests of the Southwest Carpenters Union Political Action Volunteers. And it's been like that, just people of their own volition. For every person you saw on TV last night, uh, you know, breaking into a business and taking things, there are probably two people on the street of Long Beach this morning uh, working to clean things up. And it's just, you know, you always got to look for the helpers. That still exists even in the face of the chaos we saw last night. It's It's got to be impressive to see, Sharon. And I remember after the 92 riots, how many people came out to neighborhoods they didn't even live in uh, going to help clean up areas uh, miles from where they live to try and be part of a healing moment and to show solidarity and support for those communities. So Right, in the tradition of the great Edward James Olmos, who was out there on the streets of L.A. with a broom. I was in Long Beach working for the Press-Telegram newspaper in 92 um, when, uh, I think it was the 92 um, uprising, and it was similar the days after, lots of people coming out to clean up. And you know what? If I had gotten here two hours later, I would not have seen the cleanup because it was already done. Um, it's so impressive how quickly people um, came out uh, to express neighborhood and solidarity uh, with their Long Beach businesses. We're talking with KPCC reporter Sharon McNary. I want to share a comment from a Long Beach resident, Calvin, who said, Last night we had protesters marching down 4th Street outside our apartment building. They were mostly peaceful, but one of the people in the group set a dumpster on fire next to our building, which was quite frightening. I wonder what accounts you've heard, because we've had a lot of focus on the people that were looting uh, the suit outlet that was burned down last night in Long Beach. But what was going on with the protesters in the street? Sharon, have you gotten any accounts from residents who witnessed what was happening? Well, I mean, I did talk to a couple of people who live very close to here. It's a very dense area with fairly new apartments that have been built by the, the redevelopment effort here in downtown Long Beach in the Arts District. Um, and, and it, you know, it follows a lot of what we saw on TV. Um, I, it does feel like there's a very definite separation between the people who did damage and the people who are trying to make a political point. Um, so, but that said, even in the light of the damage and how much people are upset at the damage, there is still very deep upset over 
the complacency with which we as a society have accepted deaths at the hands of police. And, and that is still a message that I'm hearing uh, from one and all. And that's something you're hearing even from people who were unhappy with the police response yesterday? Absolutely. I mean, people understand that there is a problem with, uh, you know, people getting harmed at the hands of police. They also understand that there was a separate problem last night where some people who are completely exhausted with the system lash out. You know, when the social contract is broken, there's very little to hold you back. And so I think that's kind of what we were seeing with people doing the damage. Yes, you know, it was for personal profit, but I think there's also a certain level of, you know, when you're so beaten down, what's left for me to do? There's, I'm not holding myself back with good behavior at this point. Well, or, or trying to harm other people. In the case of the dumpster set on fire next to an apartment building, um, that, you know, was something where where clearly there's malevolence it's, um, and, and a desire to lash out at other people. Right. But, but the good I'm seeing in people coming out today, you know, there's people riding around on their cruiser bikes, still people walking around with brooms and shovels. Um, you know, there's always that good to counteract the negative, but I, I still think we as a society have a lot more work uh, that we can be doing uh, to create dialogue um, and lasting peace. Not boy, is, boy, is that 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 true. Sharon, thank you so much. Appreciate your reporting from Near City Place Shopping Center in Long Beach, where members of the community have come out to clean up where the damage was done in Long Beach in the center of town last night. We're at 866-893-KPECC or the Air Talk page, kpecc.org. Uh, let's uh, see. Uh, Susan in Santa Monica, you were at the protest yesterday in Santa Monica, we had a listener who said uh, that he thought the police did a really good job. You have a different view of it. Yeah. Hi, Larry. Um, I didn't. I was there. I was there for a few hours, and I didn't think the police did a good job at all. I thought there was an overabundance of their presence while they were needed elsewhere. And, you know, social media, it was all over social media that there was going to be problems the night before. And it's sort of like they didn't know that there was going to be anything else going on, but they had to watch peaceful protesters. Do you think, Susan, that they anticipated, like what happened on Melrose the night before, that there would be some um, bad actors in the group of peaceful protesters who would break off? And what was that? You don't think that that's what police thought? bad actors in the protest with the protesters and the protesters were very peaceful no but the night before when and the protesters came down friday night from pan pacific park and then they were stopped there that crowd started shifting and so there were people there that started spray painting the buildings breaking windows things like that it was not like what happened in in santa monica yesterday where there were people totally not even at the location of the peaceful protest who came in in cars to do the looting. So what I'm wondering is if Santa Monica police thought we need to be where the protest is because that's where the trouble is going to happen, not by the majority of the crowd, but there are going to be bad actors mixed in. And then we're caught totally, um, 
you know, with their pants down about the business area? Well, I was warned to stay um, out of other parts of Santa Monica early in the morning because it was all over social media that people were going to come in. So if my, if my friends knew it and read it, um, friends of mine's kids read it in Santa Monica. I don't know why the police didn't know that. Susan, I appreciate it. Thanks very much. 866-893-KPECC, the AirTalk page, kpecc.org. Let's check out what uh, is happening in the area of uh, Melrose near Fairfax. Brian in West Hollywood, share with us your experience of what happened two nights ago. Yeah, so it all started off um, in the epicenter of everything on uh, Beverly and Fairfax, and then uh, everything was peaceful and fine, and then all of a sudden there was a cop car on fire, and so kind of just went home after that. Things started to feel a little unsettled, and then uh, as the night progressed and I was watching the news, I saw that there was a fire going on, so I looked out my window and I could see a huge pillar of smoke in the sky, orange, uh, orange light kind of glowing it up. So I walked down the street, to Melrose just to see if I could look down the street and see anything. And then next thing I know, there was a glass windows being shattered all around me, people running around, looting stores. So I kind of just pulled back into my house and waited it out. Uh, And uh, I've heard from other people living in that neighborhood. It was a pretty scary night. Was it that way for you? Yeah, certainly. uh, We kind of closed all the, all the blinds on our windows after that. Um, and just stayed inside. Brian, I appreciate your call. Thank you. Let's talk with Nick in Santa Monica. You're on Air Talk. Yeah, hi. I mean, people got to take a more macro view of what's going on, okay? Uh, the police, I was out there yesterday on, a, uh, on the peaceful protest, but then I had to walk home to 11th and Wilshire, and I saw what was going on. And it was a political choice of the police not to arrest the looters and the looters, my friend, were not just people from out of town in cars, organized. There were organized criminals. OK, but the vast majority of the looters that I saw were people that were very young, probably mostly unemployed. And even if they had a job in the last three months, they hadn't gone to work. These people were looting whether they wanted, whether they thought about it or not. It's a political statement. Okay, it is those are the people who are going to be in police custody and those are the people who are getting murdered by the police. The police made a political decision. They obviously had this in effect because they have a plan for various contingencies. If there's a dirty bomb, if there's this, if there's there's looting like this, they had a plan. Their plan was let them loot. I mean, the police, I mean, the the reporters on TV could see where they were looting. So, So the police decided let them loot. All right, Nick, appreciate your call. Nick in Santa Monica, 866-893-KPECC or the AirTalk page, kpecc.org. Joel in Santa Monica, I understand you were out to try and protect your drugstore? Yeah, the drugstore in our neighborhood was being looted. My wife and daughter ran out of the house in their, in their socks. They didn't even have time to put shoes on. They screamed and people piled out. And the looters eventually left after assaulting my wife. Uh, Fortunately, she wasn't injured. They just threw something at her. Um, And then the neighbors and I started a vigil, and we kept dozens of looters from going back into that store. And that store is still standing. 
But my concern is that, like the caller previously, Santa Monica PD made a decision to stand down. I think they valued police safety over public safety. We watched, we're located on a major thoroughfare, and we watched dozens and dozens of cars heading west post-curfew. All they had to do was set up a couple of roadblocks on the major thoroughfares, and there would have been substantially less people coming into the city post-curfew to loot and steal. And and so why do you think, I mean, let's take your thesis, that this was intentional. Why would they do that? Because they valued officer safety. They didn't want to put officers in positions where they'd be separated from the, the vast majority of them. My wife and daughter were also uh, downtown at the protest yesterday morning, and they watched while looters were going into the van store, and officers were literally standing across the street at the other at the other block and watched looters going into the store and didn't engage with the looters. My wife was screaming, and other protesters were screaming, "Look, these people are criminals! Stop them! Stop them!" And the Santa Monica police just stood shoulder-to-shoulder, shoulder, ready to do crowd control. I saw one guy yesterday who um, had been at the protest and actually got in front of one of the stores. He had his mask on, and he was fending off people trying to come in and loot the store. He was, like, taking a—he st- had come from where he was taking a moral stand uh, at the at the protest— and he was come and making what I'm sure he thought was a moral stand to try and stop the looting of the store. And I thought, wow, that that is a committed individual. I don't know if you witnessed that, Joel, but that's what you're describing with the drugstore with your neighbors. And, and it happened all across our city. Uh, there's footage uh, on, on media of people standing in front of the REI and blocking the REI and being pulled away by looters. And the protesters overwhelmingly were peaceful and there for the right purpose. And I just wish that law enforcement would have been a little more proactive in getting involved and distinguishing between valid protesters and criminal elements that were just here to take advantage of a political movement and a political statement. Joel in Santa Monica, thank you so much for being with us. I appreciate it. Kathy in Santa Monica says, I'm a person of color. I'm completely against violence against people by police. However, all this looting and criminal activity is inexcusable. It goes against the reform message, and I'm ashamed and sickened. It shouldn't be excused as people lashing out. It's not okay. We're at 866-893-KPECC or the AirTalk page, kpecc.org. We'll be back in 90 seconds on AirTalk. Frida, tweeting at AirTalk, says, I was there on Ocean in Montana and Santa Monica. It was peaceful. Cops made the scene a lot more intense. While we, war- while we marched quietly, the cops gave up and went elsewhere. All this time, looting was taking place near 3rd Street. Later saw a kid smashing Chase Bank, another running away with six pairs of van shoes. That's uh, Britta, Brita, I'm sorry, uh, on Twitter 
tweeting at AirTalk. We're at 866-893-KPCC. Kevin Rector uh, with Richard Winton co-authored a very comprehensive piece in this morning's Los Angeles Times, which really included a lot of different voices about the police response to the looting and arson that took place. Kevin, thank you very much for being with us. Really fine piece that you and Richard put together in in today's paper. Just share with us... um, the sense of people's response and and the wide breadth of that response to the story or to what has no to to uh, to what they experienced right so um, it is a wide array of experiences um, there are protesters who feel that police were heavy-handed there are also business owners and other residents of LA who feel that the police were not aggressive enough. I think uh, the perception of individuals as to the performance of the police department in the last couple of days largely depends on their own personal experiences of what they've seen and also what they may have seen on social media or elsewhere in the, in the media. Um, but there is a sense from a great number of folks on, on uh, in, in both sides of the um, discussion that police were amassing in large numbers, um, sort of squaring off with protesters, um, and in other circumstances, uh, were seen to not be responding when there was looting occurring. Now, police, for a number of reasons, have uh, to make tactical decisions on the street about how they are going to respond or not respond to things going on around them. Sometimes being in larger numbers affords a degree of safety to officers. There have been a number of officers injured in the last couple of days. Um, But when business owners see, um, like we told in our story, businesses being looted, sometimes um, for hours on end, without a major police presence responding, they question whether the strategy is the right one. There also in your piece, um, you had uh, a voice that was critical of the location of the large uh, protest gathering in Pan Pacific Park because of its proximity right next to the Grove uh, and to all the shops along Fairfax and Melrose. Um, And my thought was, though, Almost any place that you have a large gathering in a park, you know, how many places are you going to find? I guess you could use Griffith Park, but you generally are going to have a business district within walking distance. Yes. And, you know, the frustration um, in one community that this this sort of sense of lawlessness has been allowed to um, be created in their neighborhood, you know, doesn't doesn't uh, mean that it should happen elsewhere. Um, But I think the frustration runs deep um, and is certainly there among a lot of folks in that area you mentioned um, who feel that it's a center of uh, of business. Uh, There are tons of shops there. And it wasn't only that the, the protest was allowed to begin in Pan Pacific Park. It was that crowds were funneled in directions towards other businesses and allowed to remain where they were um, for long periods of time without interruption from police. And, you know, to, to, um, to police, uh, 
a lot of the locations where protesters have gathered uh, have not been up to them. <laughs> you know, the, the protesters, um, after a night of marching, um, some peaceful marching, and then uh, the devolution into looting in the downtown area, some protesters had made a very conscious decision to protest elsewhere. Uh, it, it's not like the police said, okay, leave downtown and go to Pan Pacific Park. Um, but the frustration remains that, you know, when a, when a large number of folks who are increasingly becoming agitated, and they would say are being agitated by the police, um, when groups like that start moving in, in whichever direction they end up going, there are folks who are sort of um, there and waiting and fearful and frustrated that, that the, the darker side of what we've seen in the last couple of days ends up on their own doorstep. Kevin, thank you for sharing uh, your experience and your reporting of uh, what's been happening over the past three days in Los Angeles. We appreciate it very much. Thanks very much for having me. Kevin Rector with Richard Winton, co-authors of the lead story in the Los Angeles Times over police response to the arson and looting that occurred beginning uh, Friday night in the Melrose Fairfax area. Uh, and then, of course, uh, on Saturday, uh, we had, uh, you know, what what I should say Saturday night uh, where that uh, took place. And then uh, yesterday, of course, Santa Monica and Long Beach. Uh, let's talk with Zach in Atwater Village. You're on air talk. Good to have you with us. One of the things I think people are really angry at, Larry, is at what you just did on your segment right now, which is you start off by talking about hope and healing and about volunteerism and we're coming together and sweeping up and we're all helping out. And you want to shine this little beacon of hope. And I get why you do it, because it makes everybody feel better. But now is not the time for hope and healing. I watched a young woman in the press last night staring down the barrel of her camera, talking about hope and healing while there were fires behind her, while she was standing in the blood on the sidewalk that had yet to be hosed down, talking to me about hope and healing. You know what, man? If I got a tumor on my liver, you know what I'm not talking about? I'm not talking about hope and healing. I'm talking about surgery. I'm talking about chemotherapy. So you can talk about hope and, and healing after you've ingested a little poison and after you've done a little cutting. But right now, all you members of the press, like, I know you want to make your NPR bougie white audience feel better, but there is no hope and healing right now. There's anger. We need to be talking about justice, and we need to be talking about accountability. Zach, I appreciate your call. Thank you for joining us. 866-893-KPECC. I love hearing the range of perspectives, people's responses. That's what we're here to do. And we're going to take a break, come back in one minute. We have other excellent calls to share their experience. Zach in Atwater Village. 866-893-KPECC. The Air Talk page, kpecc.org. We'll be back in 60 seconds. You're listening to Air Talk on 89.3 KPCC. I'm Larry Mantle. I'd love to hear other listeners respond to Zach, the caller that we just had, and uh, thinks it's too early for people to be talking about coming together and uh, peacefulness and uh, cleaning up. He said we need to marinate in this and and um, and and feel. 
um, the the righteous wrong of the moment that we're in. We're at 866-893-KPECC or the AirTalk page, kpecc.org. Lizard uh, tweets at AirTalk, these angelic cleanups are disrespectful to the movement. It's almost as if they're trying to erase what just happened so they can move on with their lives. Society needs to marinate in the destruction to get a feel of the anger coming from the protesters. That's Lizard tweeting at AirTalk. Uh, let's talk next uh, with Michael in Santa Monica. You're on AirTalk. Um, Larry, uh, we're on Arizona Avenue in Midtown, uh, Midtown Santa Monica, just east of downtown. And uh, yesterday afternoon, uh, all afternoon long from about 2 p.m. until after dark, it, this area seemed to be u- being used as a staging area for, uh, for looters. There were um, multiple incidences of um, uh, people uh, waiting around with uh, with what looked like looted goods, waiting for getaway cars to come through. There were a couple of incidences of um, co- uh, cars where drivers came out and changed their license plates. Uh, this was all very brazen, you know, broad daylight. Uh, there were people on foot uh, with uh, looted materials, uh, carrying uh, like dragging suitcases, presumably full of uh, looted goods. And uh, and just large volumes of, of foot traffic and vehicular traffic, uh, what looked like hoodlums, just uh, coming through through the neighborhood. This is a residential neighborhood, so the, uh, the the goods were presumably coming from elsewhere, possibly downtown Santa Monica. Michael, so what do you say to those who who say this isn't good? There shouldn't be looting, but that this is a political act and that people have been driven to the brink and that that's why this is taking place? I don't know. The, the looting didn't seem to be a political act. It seemed like the protesting and the looting activities were completely detached, separate activities. The looters were uh, utilizing the opportunity uh, of having the police be distracted. And we had no police distra- uh, presence in the area at all, just not at all, uh, all afternoon long, nothing. Michael, uh, thank you for sharing uh, that. I appreciate it. 866-893-KPECC or the AirTalk page, kpecc.org. Joe in Venice says people are assuming the looters and protesters are the same people. I don't think that's true. I haven't heard a single call that's commingled that. I think uh, there's absolute differentiation that people are making. So I've heard people saying that they've been commingled, but I haven't I don't know who's commingling those two groups. 866-893-KPECC or the AirTalk page, kpecc.org. Let's talk with Amy in Pomona. Good to have you with us. Hey, thanks for having me. Um, I just wanted to share my experience from marching in Pomona yesterday. Um, A group of us marched for five miles and ended in a candlelight vigil. And it was a really, it was a great experience, like, really beautiful and peaceful. But as we approached the first large intersection, the police were lined up in their riot gear, kind of blocking one part of the intersection. And that good, peaceful feeling went really quickly to, oh my gosh, they they want to stir something up. They're mad at us. And people in the protest started, you know, having these heightened feelings that, that weren't there before we saw the police. But then as we passed through, We noticed that the police all got into their cars 
and went ahead of us, and they were in the next intersection doing the exact same thing. But it quickly became clear to us that that they weren't there to intimidate. I mean, they did intimidate, but they were there to block traffic for us so that we could cross the big intersection safely. And if they just would have said from the beginning, the reason we're here, you guys, is to protect you as you cross the street. Let's keep this peaceful. It would have just made everything feel so much better, but just their stoic riot gear presence felt terrible the first time we saw it. Amy, I appreciate you sharing what you experienced uh, in Pomona with the march there. Thank you so much. 866-893-KPECC. Joining us from Baldwin Vista in southwest Los Angeles, Donica. Donica, thank you for being with us. Share with us your experience and perceptions of the weekend. Well, I, I just feel so viscerally for uh, Joel Curry, who I actually know, um, who called earlier, um, and a friend of mine in Santa Monica, um, Lana, who owns Santa Monica Music. But as a mother of African-American males um, and a black woman, uh, I understand Zach's place. And I just want to encourage everyone to not look at the binaries. This is why we're here. We we need to think about all of it and um, not just follow one narrative. We've got to understand um, how we got here. You know, 400 years of racism earlier, you had uh, you're one of the reporters state, you know, a police brutality. It's not police brutality. That police brutality is the branch of the tree of racism, systemic racism. And until we talk about that and get to the heart of that matter and all of its little branches from institutional racism to prison, the pipeline to uh, passive aggressive notions that teachers perpetuate to little black children in the classroom to the way a boss tells you that your hair is aggressive when it's in its natural state. All of these microaggressions, black maternity rates, there's so much that this this is a huge tree and this is the genetic DNA, the coding of the U.S. This is the blood and sweat of our ancestors reaching out and saying, we've got to do something about this. And we have to respect property. Don't get me wrong. My nephew was detained this weekend being peaceful. But then my friend's business is destroyed. We've got to have a more inclusive and use that word properly, inclusive perspective. Leave the binaries alone. There's not, I believe this or I believe that or it's just this, it's just that. No. This tree is gargantuan. It has many branches, and we need to get to the root of the matter. And we've got to do it systemically. There's not one answer to this. This has got to be a comprehensive approach to what needs to be addressed in our country, this poison of racism. And we've got to do this together. And we need white people to step up and not laugh at jokes when they're just all white people about any group of people. Anytime you're not disrupting racism as a white person, you are given away to power. You are just like those police officers who stood by and let that officer leave his neck on George Floyd. You are just watching, but you are participating. You are complicit. And so we've got to do this conscientiously and together. We can't, black people, we would have abolished racism a long time ago if we could if we have the power to do it, we don't have that power. We need white people to step up and do the work. And it's going to be hard. 
the pie, it just, did you, you just add more seats to the table. The table doesn't get smaller. You just add more seats, and that's what people are saying. It's so much, Larry. I'm sorry. Oh, it's all right. You don't need to apologize at all, Derek. I appreciate the passion with which you bring the perspective and the points that you raise. That's Donica and Baldwin Vista closing out our first hour of Air Talk here on 89.3 KPCC. We have much more to come in the second hour. We'll also hear from Long Beach officials. They'll hold their news conference in the wake of uh, the large gathering there last night, as well as the less peaceful part of what took place. You're listening to Air Talk on 89.3 KPCC. Good morning. It's Air Talk. I'm Larry Mantle. Good to have you with us as we talk about what's happened over the past three nights in Los Angeles, Santa Monica, and Long Beach. We're awaiting a news conference from Long Beach officials to update on what's going on in their community. But we've had reports and calls from listeners who already this morning have been out on the streets helping to clean up, help, helping uh, business owners there uh, deal with the damage to their businesses uh, that occurred in the uh, in the central area of Long Beach last evening. We heard from some listeners who didn't like that, didn't like the focus on it, and felt that that detracted from the anger and um the um, and the difficulty that people should experience from that. But we have seen what look like hundreds of people that have come out on Santa Monica and Long Beach streets to try and uh, help clean up uh, and help with repairs of the businesses there. We're taking your calls, an opportunity for you to share with us your thoughts about uh, what took place over the last three nights. Our phone lines are open for you at 866 866- 893-KPECC. Boy, what a difference uh, the daylight brings uh, than what we saw last night on the street, particularly in in Santa Monica, which were full of National Guard members uh, and law enforcement. National Guard is still out, but so are just a lot of uh, community people there. Long Beach, I'm sorry, Santa Monica, uh, Beverly Hills, Culver City have all put in early 1 o'clock Uh, curfews for their business districts and four o'clock curfews for the cities in total. We're at 866-893-KPECC or the AirTalk page, kpecc.org. Let's talk with Josh joining us in South Pasadena. You're on AirTalk. Hi, Larry. I just wanted to say that, uh, you know, there, there does really seem to be a big division in people's minds between who is a protester and and who is a looter. And I think that, you know, it's a shame to try and discredit so many people who are experiencing such pain. Um, I'm calling and speaking from the perspective of a cisgendered straight white man. And though I'm in South Pasadena and not Minnesota, I can't deny that George Floyd's death and the system that caused it is for my benefit. And until people start seeing that this system is for their benefit and working to ally themselves with people of color, people of all different sexual orientations and gender, people of all different ethnicities, this is just going to continue to be the status quo. Um, We need to support those who are on the streets right now. 
we need to ask the National Guard and the police to maintain uh, an even temper and not approach with violence and not approach with mass arrests when you're taking people into detention facilities filled with COVID-19 and then sending them back to disadvantaged communities that are experiencing higher rates of uh, sickness and death from the coronavirus. Josh, appreciate your call. Josh in South Pasadena, 866-893-KPCC. I'd like to hear your response to the point that Josh just made on the program. Uh, We're talking with listeners what you've experienced in your community and your perceptions over what we've seen in Southern California over the last three days. Linda in Santa Monica, you're on AirTalk. Hi, I didn't get a name, but I think it was Linda. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, sorry you didn't hear it. Go ahead, Linda. Okay. Um, Yes, in regard to what he just said, I think that uh, certainly there are people who have privilege and there are people who have nearly nothing. And it it reminds me of um, something that was said a long time ago by somebody who, like Seneca or somebody who goes way back in time and said when income inequality becomes extreme enough, you get one of two things. You get either a dictatorship or you get a revolution. And I think we're sniffing around the edges of those things and it's becoming very obvious. And until we get to creating, I mean, to correcting the inequality in income, we're going to continue to have these problems. Um, In terms of what he was saying, I think it is to nobody's benefit what is going on no matter who they are, even if they think they're immune. And I understand there are people who want to say, hey, you're not immune, and we're going to make sure that you know it, um, that we aren't, because what happens on one end is going to ultimately affect everybody else. And so in terms of healing, I think that the best way for healing to happen is, and, and you're participating in this in your show, is to have people talking to each other, and I would like to see groups of people organized around the city where people from very different worlds, the so-called privileged whites and the oppressed minorities, get together face-to-face in groups and talk to each other about how it is to live in their world. Much of this happened after the 92 riots. Uh, I got a grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities and convened a series that was aired on television in L.A. and uh, on KPCC. It was called Shades of L.A. It was a multi-part program that I hosted, and I brought together people from all different communities in Southern California. But one of the real problems that we faced was sort of getting beyond the rhetoric that people are comfortable with to describe race relations and to get to a deeper level. And that was very, very challenging. Uh, I appreciate your call, Linda. Thank you so much. Uh, We go to the city of Long Beach. Their news conference just underway. What happened uh, last night and what's happening today. I want to just begin by uh, also thanking the Long Beach City Council and the members of the council that are here uh, in support. The entire city leadership uh, is in response, and as as is, of course, our entire police department and fire department. And we're going to be hearing from the chief of police uh, and the chief of fire as well. And so thank you all uh, for being here. Um, I just want to begin uh, by saying, and I think it's really important to say, uh, that here in Long Beach, uh, we are proud of what we're seeing this morning. I just came back uh, from visiting and touring throughout the downtown and uh, had a chance to speak to uh, many residents, uh, business owners that are out there right now uh, cleaning up 
uh, some of the destruction and looting that happened last night. Uh, and to see uh, our residents, uh, many with uh, tears in their eyes, uh, with brooms, uh, sweeping, cleaning, uh, was just, uh, I was awestruck and amazed by their, their resilience, uh, their love for our city, uh, and their commitment to each other. And so to the, what is probably over a thousand people right now, uh, cleaning the downtown streets of Long Beach and across the city, uh, thank you. You make us proud and you are exactly what Long Beach is all about. And what is happening this morning across our city with this amazing show of love is in complete contrast to what happened yesterday evening, which I want to talk to you about today. What we saw last night with the looting and quite frankly organized criminal activity that was happening in Long Beach is absolutely against what we stand for as a city and as a country. These criminals, as you're going to hear tonight, uh, were organized. They've been hitting cities across California and the country and completely stood against the values of what the people of the city were actually protesting and demonstrating yesterday. We had probably around 3,000 people peacefully protesting for a better and more just America and community and city just yesterday afternoon. A vast majority of these folks were out there doing the right thing, talking about their amendments and their first, uh, their first Amendment rights to be able to protest peacefully. And our police officers there were there also to not just protect the community, but to protect the entire group of folks that were out there as well. And that part of the day was going really well. And I want to thank all of them for being peaceful. But then, of course, real quickly, the violence began with a group of individuals that hit our city last night. The chief's going to get into some details about the arrests that were made and what we can expect, but I want to give everyone a little bit of overview of where we're at right now. First is what happened last night to our small businesses was unacceptable. We should be angry and saddened by the behavior of these people and these criminals. There were some things that should give us some pause and that are heartening. There was no loss of life last night. We did not lose one person in our community due to this violence. We had no police officers or firefighters that were seriously injured or hospitalized. And while there certainly were attempts uh, at lighting fires across the city and smaller fires erupted, we only had one major structure fire there on the corner of 7th and Pine Avenue. And thanks to the Long Beach Fire Department, all the other fires, which the fire chief will discuss, were put out rather quickly. I also want to say that uh, there were, of course, some, uh, some injuries last night to members of the public and to everyone that uh, was injured. Um, our, our, our hearts and love go out to you. I know also uh, that a, uh, uh, a reporter, uh, Adolfo Guzman Lopez, of course, who I think we all know and love, uh, was also hit by a, uh, a rubber bullet. I've uh, personally also uh, com communicated with him apologize to him as well, and we'll be looking forward to discussing that in, in, in the days ahead. But I want to thank the media also for covering and for being there and for communicating with the public and getting the message out. So to all of you, thank you for doing so. I also want to, I also want to add that the Long Beach Police Department last night um, uh, did a fantastic job, and we should be proud of their work and the community's work in doing the response. 
And I want to make sure that we also answer questions about how the, the city was prepared. This city was prepared for the protests, as the chief will explain. Within an hour of those protests, mutual aid began coming in from across the county. And when mutual aid was exhausted, the National Guard was also brought in to assist those efforts. And they are still here right now. One thing it's important for people to realize also, I had some questions, why wasn't the National Guard here from the beginning? Uh, that's just not the way the National Guard system works. Uh, you have to first exhaust your mutual aid and the agencies around you before the National Guard gets approval. The National Guard right now has a statewide mission in California. And they are in all cities across the state. And so we went and followed the procedures. Uh, and I'm really proud of the Long Beach Police Department for the work that they did and for the amount of life and property that was protected. And to the small business owners uh, that, uh, that, that have been uh, damaged, uh, to the businesses that are hurting and to the workers, please know that this city stands with you. And we, and we promise you that every, with every single one of you will we'll work to rebuild and ensure your business bounces back. I want to also just say, uh, finally, that we are also preparing for tonight and the days ahead. We're calling today for an additional curfew. So beginning at 1 o'clock PM today, we will set a curfew for all of our business districts across the city. And we will have more information about exact locations here uh, over the course of the next, uh, next hour. And then at 4 PM, we are putting in a citywide curfew for the rest of the city. Now, why is this important? It is important that folks stay home. It's important that today, stay at home, take care of your family. We have the Long Beach Police Department, our mutual aid partners, and the National Guard all out patrolling and taking care of the city and our businesses. We also have uh, our police department with our federal and state partners also have and are working with our intelligence community to ensure we have the best information about what is actually happening with these organized looters that are coming in and out of cities and causing destruction. Because the folks that were doing this, as you saw many of you on television, that's not Long Beach. And that's not what Long Beach is all about. And so I want to thank the city for being strong, uh, for supporting the men and women of the Long Beach Police Department and for all of you that were peacefully protesting for the work that we have to do still in America to heal this country, I want to thank you all as well. Uh, we're going to hear right now from our chief of police. We're going to hear from our fire chief, and then we're going to answer your questions. Chief. Long Beach Mayor Robert Garcia, you're listening to a live news conference from Long Beach on 89.3 KPCC. And, uh, good morning uh, to everybody. Um, as has been uh, described, uh, yesterday was a very sad day. Uh, for us that love Long Beach. And uh, the mayor described it, uh, today's a new day, uh, it's a beautiful day, and if you drive around our city, uh, it's a 180 from what you saw yesterday. Uh, people cleaning, people who love this place and they wanna make it beautiful and are talking about what do we do uh, to prevent the violence uh, that occurred on our streets yesterday. Um, as, as you know by now, uh, we had a a scheduled protest that was gonna take place in front of the police department headquarters building in downtown Long Beach. Uh, we were expecting several hundred protesters, that's the information that we had, um, and that quickly turned to several thousand protesters 
coming from different directions, uh, doing uh, a variety of things. Uh, but the interesting thing about this group uh, that hit our city yesterday, I want to emphasize that the majority of the group was peaceful. And I wish all the violence that occurred yesterday would not have occurred because with the mayor who spoke before me and the city council that's to my right, and I've talked to each and every one of them, we've talked about meaningful change uh, with policing, uh, not only in the city, uh, but across our country. And instead of talking about that today, we're talking about the violence, the theft, all the criminal activity that occurred around the peaceful protest that happened yesterday. I wanted to talk a little bit about the planning that the police department went to leading up to this event. We've actually been preparing uh, for civil unrest. That's part of our job. We're consistently preparing ourselves. But as you know, uh, as COVID uh, health crisis hit us, and then uh, right behind that, we're talking about the economic crisis. Uh, I think for all of us, we absolutely anticipated, uh, but we're praying that it didn't happen, that we would have civil unrest. Uh, so we actually in the police department assigned some command staff uh, to properly uh, plan, equip us, and train us to make sure we are ready uh, for what happened yesterday. So as yesterday did come up, or really this weekend, uh, uh, really being observant, communicating with our law enforcement partners as to what was going across the country. Uh, we were looking, learning, talking to people. Uh, I was specifically on the phone at least twice a week with major city chief uh, uh, peers around the country, uh, learning from successes, from failures, and how to deploy our people. Uh, and that's what we did for this weekend. We actually deployed additional people Saturday. Uh, thank God. Uh, we didn't need them, uh, and at least in our city, but what we ended up doing is we sent a large contingency of police officers to the city of Los Angeles, because as you see, Los Angeles was having some challenges. And in law enforcement, we have a great partnership where we help each other, so we sent people to them. Uh, yesterday was a different story. Uh, as we prepared for Sunday's protest, we brought in hundreds of additional Long Beach police officers. Uh, that were online uh, with planning, uh, uh, looking at contingencies, uh, talking about uh, potential looting uh, and all those things that were going to happen. Uh, but there's something about this crowd uh, that uh, came to Long Beach. And again, I want to emphasize that the majority of them were there for the right reasons. I can actually tell you that not only myself, but uh, almost every member of my police department feels the same way that a lot of the peaceful protesters felt. Uh, we were offended and appalled by what we saw on that video. We don't want law enforcement to be represented that way. Uh, but uh, when we look at what happened yesterday, there was a, a smaller group of individuals who created chaos uh, and eventually hit a lot of our individual businesses. Uh, I don't know how that moves us forward. Uh, I think that was uh, a very negative thing for each and every one of us. And yes, you saw on live television uh, some of our businesses being looted. Uh, and I've got to tell you, uh, that was offensive. Uh, uh, we were being interviewed by the media. We were getting calls. How do you let this happen? We didn't allow it to happen. 
We were responding from hotspot to hotspot, uh, getting there sometimes uh, minutes, sometimes 10, 15 minutes afterward. Uh, and just to give you an idea, the call load for the Long Beach Police Department went, the average call load uh, for a regular day was, the calls are about 1,726 per day. That is our average. Yesterday, 4,686 calls for service. That is a dramatic increase. That's what we were looking at yesterday. Uh, I am not going to stand here and make any excuses about anything that happened. Uh, I, um, I don't mind being scrutinized. Uh, it is my job. I'm accountable for everything that happens at the Long Beach Police Department. But if there's anger, uh, to be directed, it is at the individuals who came here, interjected themselves in a peaceful protest with a very good cause and decided they were going to, one, throw objects at police officers, two, destroy police cars, three, break windows and uh, loot our businesses. That's where our anger needs to be directed. Uh, I think we as a community need to stand up and one, say, yes, peaceful protest, great cause, but this criminal behavior is absolutely unacceptable. That's where our anger needs to be directed. And as the mayor stated earlier, um, we are getting ready again for today. We have hundreds of Long Beach police officers uh, ready to deploy. And I've got to tell you something, each of them that were involved in yesterday's incident are back today. Uh, like me, we're praying that nothing happens. But as I was talking to officers who were leaving at 3 and 4 in the morning that had worked 16, 18-hour days, I had several officers tell me, Chief, this was unbelievable. A lot of us feel the same way uh, the peaceful protesters feel, uh, but they were talking about how they were being challenged. They were being, uh, there were rocks, bricks, uh, bottles being thrown at them. Several officers got hit in the head. Uh, thank God they were wearing helmets. Uh, but how do you think that feels just because we wear this uniform? Um, that is not a good feeling. I don't want that to happen. This is not the way to create change. You're listening to Robert Luna, who is Long Beach's police chief. Uh, he come in, came under heavy criticism after yesterday's police response in Long Beach as uh, what we just heard was anticipated by Long Beach authorities to be just a few hundred people ended up in the thousands marching down Long Beach streets. Uh, police, according to uh, the chief, uh, were not able to respond all the places they needed to respond, and uh, he's defending his department's actions uh, in the West of um, looting that occurred in Long Beach shopping areas. There was one large arson fire, um, and uh, he's talking about uh, that in the course of that Long Beach news conference. You're listening to Air Talk on 89.3 KPCC. We have more listener calls to talk about as we continue here on 89.3 KPCC. Our politics segment is coming up. We have more listener phone calls back in one minute. Ravi in Long Beach says, I hope this activism results in better civilian oversight of the police force and also in revised tactics 
because I saw many people being brutal towards protesters. Anne on Facebook says, I'd like to bring up police training. There have been too many instances of police aggression. I hope there are balances of humane behavior. Being a policeman is a difficult job. We count on them to be adults at all times. Roderick writes on our Facebook page, this is a result of a capitalistic economy, society void of humanity. Vast swaths of the population have been shut out and marginalized from this economic structure through bigotry on all levels because of the color of their skin. Is it no wonder that they would strike out at capita, i.e. burning and looting stores? People want what they have been denied. Uh, let's see. We have Be Human on Twitter says, please talk about the demands of the people. The police need to be defunded, demilitarized, and disarmed. They have made these riots worse and have engaged in a variety of brutal behaviors during these protests. Uh, John on Twitter says, just came home from downtown Long Beach. The 562, referring to the area code community bond, is on another level. Scott on Twitter says, I was literally in the middle of protesters in Long Beach. Looters were hitting places in Long Beach that protests never went. Looting at the Pike was separate from the protest, which was peaceful. I was in the wave uh, of community cleanup this morning when we finished Uh, They were at Wave 14, so uh, Scott was in Wave 8. I guess they brought in different groups of people. I am so proud of Long Beach. That's Scott tweeting at AirTalk. Israel on Twitter says, The protest has become a Trojan horse of destruction. Um, and Andrew on Twitter says, the people commingling, the looters and the protesters, are your callers who suggesting we need to not clean up but marinate in this destruction. We're at 866-893-KPCC or the AirTalk page, kpcc.org. We're hearing a range of opinions on the program. Some people aren't happy with that. They feel like, no, the focus just needs to be on um, why the protests are taking place. We shouldn't be talking about the property damage. We shouldn't be talking about what's going on with cleanup, that that's a distraction from the other issue. But our job is convening a conversation on AirTalk. The biggest conversation in Southern California is talking about Angelino's experiences from a variety of perspectives. And that's what we're going to continue to do. By the way, uh, Robert Garcia, the mayor of Long Beach, talking about our own Adolfo Guzman Lopez, who was shot by a, a police rubber bullet last last night and uh, suffered an injury. Fortunately, it was just external to his throat. It didn't damage his windpipe or or do internal damage. Uh, Adolfo resting at home today. But uh, Mayor Garcia uh, saying uh, Adolfo, who we all know and love, and boy, is that true. Uh, So very nice uh, to hear that after what Adolfo went through last night. We're at 866-893-KPECC or the AirTalk page, kpecc.org. Let's talk with Gabby. Happy in Long Beach. You're on AirTalk. Hi, Larry. Thanks for sharing your platform. I am a black indigenous woman. I have law enforcement in my family. I have I was at Standing Rock. I've been at every Black Lives Matter protest in Oakland from 2016 to 2019. I'm a, I'm a small business owner. Not one person that I ever saw destroying property and small businesses in Oakland was a person of color. And it actually ended up being that they were arresting people that were coming in from the suburbs. Civil disobedience works. 
if the riots and protests that are happening now makes an officer think twice about how he handles a black man in custody, then what we're doing now works. I do not condone the destruction of small businesses, but let me tell you, these corporations that are calling out for uh, solidarity with Black Lives Matter have no black executives. There are no black creatives. There's no black women in positions of power. In Columbus, Ohio right now, they are on shutdown. The National Guard is there. They've blocked every entry into the city. They have an indefinite curfew. But when there are uh, terrorists armed with guns uh, protesting reopening the city, the mayor didn't react to that at all. Uh, we're also, I have seen police brutality against peaceful brown and black protesters in prayer. But I'm telling you, the people that are looting right now are not the same people that are out there peacefully protesting. My friend, a black woman in Los Angeles two days ago, stopped a white woman from smashing out windows with a hammer. So, yeah, Gabby, I have to say, in Santa Monica yesterday, I, I think the looting um, was significantly African-American individuals. There were other people in it, um, but uh, at least in Santa Monica and then later at the Pike in Long Beach, significant numbers of African-Americans. So, yes, white people, I'm sure, loot, too. And I, I certainly uh, assume you know what you're talking about with Oakland. But um, it's also important not to put a narrative out that there's a bunch of white people came into Santa Monica and looted yesterday. That's that's not accurate. I didn't say that, but that being said, we also know that white supremacist groups like Proud Boys have been infiltrating these protests. They were seen in Portland. They were seen in Seattle. And furthermore, um, I'm in rings of uh, text with people warning each other, telling people not to go to certain protests because that they believe that these flyers are being pushed out by other groups with a different initiative. So the people that are out here that are protesting peacefully are not the same people that are out here looting. And I'm not saying that it's just white people, but there are people coming in from other areas and other groups with other initiatives. In Philadelphia, they shut off the scanners ahead of the third day of protest and then gave people 15 minutes warning for their curfew and shut down. Gabby, I appreciate your call. Thank you so much. And clearly you're a veteran of of political demonstrations uh, in multiple cities. Appreciate your being with us. Gabby in Long Beach. Uh, Let's see. uh, Joshua in Pasadena. You're on Air Talk. Hi. We just want to say we support all of these protesters. Absolutely exercise your rights. But there's a consequence. In some of these areas, we can't get to our doctor. And we have a newborn. So today we had to reschedule an appointment to Wednesday. And if I have a serious issue with a, a my little daughter who's less than four months and I can't get critical medical care, it, 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 there's other consequences to the looting and the rioting. And that is that people are afraid to get critical medical care beyond COVID. We, we have to also consider the ancillary consequences of our rights to protest as well. And, and today it just reached ahead for us because I'm out of work and I got a daughter and, and I want to take care of her, but I can't. Joshua, I appreciate your call. Thank you very much. You're listening to Air Talk on 89.3 KPECC. I want to thank everybody who's called in, the wide range of calls, of experiences, of perceptions, and you hear how complex it is in the range of those. There is no one single 
truthful narrative that overrides everything else. Uh, and it's so good to hear people's different experiences personally and how that ties into their worldview politically. Uh, my thanks to everybody. Uh, let me bring into the conversation USC School of Law professor Jody Armour. He was on with us in our coverage last night here on 89.3 KPECC. Professor, good to have you with us again. Professor Armour? Hi, how are you? Hi, hi. Thank you for joining us. So, uh, Jody, boy, have we heard a wide range of perspectives on our program. I was sharing, you know, one of the challenges, we had a listener called in and said, we need to use this as an opportunity to come together and to talk about ways uh, of making progress on race relations. Um But, you know, one of the challenges I found in doing this back in 1992 with the Shades of L.A. series that I hosted um, was getting people to really talk honestly because um, people felt like they were, you know, would be personally attacked for sharing their honest views. And, you know, how do we really get to that place where um, people's motives aren't questioned and and, um, we can have an honest dialogue? Yeah, we have to be, if we're going to have the real kind of uncomfortable conversations that are going to make it possible to move the needle, to make real progress, Larry, um, and I've had a lot of good, uncomfortable conversations on your show through the years because you, you, you don't allow people to settle for cliches and, you know, circumlocutions and the rest, but for, to, to, to make uncomfortable, uncomfortable conversations possible, we have to be willing to let people make mistakes. I stick my foot in my mouth all the time. That's how I've learned. I've learned to avoid sticking my foot in my mouth by sticking my foot in my mouth. And I've fortunately been around colleagues and friends and people who are compassionate and understanding, recognize my own human frailty, recognize their own human frailty, that we're all fallible humans and we're learning as we go along. You know, the Black Lives Matter movement, it's the hallmarks of the Black Lives Matter movement were two. Disruption, let's cut through our collective complacency by shutting it down, disruption first. But then second, let's have some uncomfortable conversations. And that's the only way we can get down to the nitty-gritty. But to have those, you people have to be able to make mistakes, and you're not going to jump down on them with both feet because they haven't figured everything out going in. And so it's going to take humility. We all have to go into this with some humility and a lot of compassion. Well, and, and you know, the other thing is, and I appreciate this uh, about you, Jody, is your willingness uh, to engage with views that are other than your own. And, you know, n- you're not going to necessarily get all of America to agree with um the theories of race relations that you or others who share your worldview express. And and so, you know, people who hold the view you do are going to have to be tolerant of people who who have other conclusions or or see things differently, just as they're going to have to um, give a very important place to the personal experiences of people of color and what they've endured. Can, you know, people, so to speak, who have the political views that you have do that any more than people who have their deeply held views who see it differently be able to shift? 
Yeah, only if we have the humility to, to recognize the possibility that we don't have a monopoly on the truth and that it's important to us to be able to, even if we think we're right, we feel in our bones that we're right, we recognize that to, com- to com- communicate to others and to convince them. I, I tell my law students, for example, you should be able to write a brief for the other side who's, who, who you're opposing that is more eloquent than the brief they can write. And then you have to take on that brief. You have to take on that argument. Unless you can get in your opponent's or adversary's skin and understand what is really making their position so viscerally appealing to them, you don't have a chance of really persuading, you know, those 12 jurors sitting in that jury box. And the American public is a, a giant jury box. You know, Larry, when, we, when you and I started talking years ago, um, I was still teaching in my classroom that it was constitutional to declare same-sex intimacy a felony. In many states, all the way up until 2003, when I started teaching USC in 95, 6, 7, 8, you, two, two people just expressing same-sex intimacy were, com, com, were morally condemned and could be locked up. And look how far we've come. If, if you took that position today, I, frankly, you'd, you know, think same people should get locked up, frankly, you'd look like a Neanderthal. You can argue about same-sex marriage perhaps one way or the other, perhaps, but you can't argue that people should be locked up for just experience, exp, expressing same-sex intimacy anymore. Look how far we came in just 10 or 15 years through uncomfortable conversations and, and a lot of work. We're talking with USC law professor Jody Armour. We need to break. We'll come back and talk more with him. We also have two guests in our political segment. Jody, you have a book ready to be published in a couple of months, and I'll let you say the title because I'm, I'm not sure how to uh, properly pronounce this. Yes, it, it, it's, it's titled Nigger Theory, um, um, Larry, and I, I use that word advisedly. I know it's a blood-soaked epithet that causes a lot of people pain, but that's the reason I'm using it because we use that word to otherize people, to demonize, to monsterize them, and I want to humanize people that we're doing that to. And so I, it's nigger theory, race, language, unequal justice in the law, and hopefully we'll have a chance to talk about it. I'm sure we will. It's published by the L.A. Review of Books. It'll be out in August. Professor Jody Armour, we have additional guests joining us. We'll be back in 90 seconds on AirTalk on KPCC. You're listening to AirTalk on 89.3 KPECC. Governor Gavin Newsom has a news conference coming up right around noon. We'll bring it to you live here on KPEC. Also want to remind you, our coverage of what's happening in Southern California continues throughout the day. Two o'clock, A. Martinez will be here with Take Two. And Nick Roman will be taking you through the afternoon and evening drive time on All Things Considered. We're talking politics and what's taking place in Los Angeles, Long Beach, Santa Monica right now. Jody Armour, SC Law Professor, is with us. Also joining us uh, in conversation is Republican political consultant Rob Stutzman, who was former Deputy Chief of Staff to Governor Schwarzenegger, and Renee Van Vechten, uh, who's Professor of Political Science at the University of Redlands. Uh, Earlier today, President Trump derided many governors as weak, demanded tougher crackdowns on burning and stealing among some demonstrations that after the uh, aftermath of another night of violent protests in dozens of American cities, Trump spoke to governors on a video teleconference 
that included law enforcement and national security officials. He told state leaders they have to get much tougher. Most of you are weak, the president said. You have to arrest people. Um, Rob Stutzman, your response to the governor's comment, I'm sorry, the president's comments to the governor's. Well, the president is using them as his to draw contrast to himself, because, of course, he is obsessed, uh, I think, in his own mind with the notion that he is a a tough person. He would love to be a strong man, probably in a different construct of government than we have here in American democracy. But it's this what is what he's done for days in this moment is to talk about manifesting strength and punishment upon an enemy. And this is the, the only mode that he seems to be able to operate in, is to have um, enemies that he's working against and to create that type of contrast. So in this instance, he's going to lay the blame on the governors. And the, the subtext, of course, is you are not as strong as I am when he c- calls them weak. Now, I understand that the, the president's advisors had wanted him to make a public statement um, to to try and reach out. And, you know, he, he, he certainly uh, did, after the video of George Floyd dying in police custody, and he, he talked about how terrible that was and expressed sympathy to the family. But he has not come out in a national address to address the public in the wake of what we've seen over the last several days. And um, the president apparently doesn't want to do his turn back why do you think this is that he doesn't want to lead in this area? Well, I don't think he knows how to lead in this in this area. Uh, he, you know, he he gave remarks at the at the uh, down at the NASA Center at Kennedy uh, that were off of a teleprompter, and that he read them, and they were very appropriate for a president. Uh, but then, within hours, he's back on his favorite medium to use, which is his Twitter account. And he's you know, literally been out of sight and firing these missives through, uh, through social media. Uh, and some would argue, I think, fairly so, and you know, fueling the, the conflict and the tension throughout, throughout America. I don't, he, there is no empathy in this man. And so this, you know, that, his psychosis now manifests itself in a way that he is incapable of leading in a moment like this. And maybe he has enough self-awareness to know that uh, he shouldn't try to do so. Rob Stutzman, Republican political consultant with us. Jody, I know you have to go in a couple of minutes. So your thoughts on the president and this phone conversation with the governors? Well, yeah, he, um, you know, he said at one point I could go out on Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and, and, and still prevail, not lose many votes. And, um, you know, he's certainly appealing to his base and looking strong, you know, um, in their eyes. And that often is has uh, turned out to be enough, you know. Um, and so uh, it, it doesn't surprise me. Um, what's interesting to me is he's made some outreach to black voters from time to time. He talks about how he's going to get support in the black community, how he took, you know, a, he got the First Steps program, which helps to address some um, over-incarceration issues. And, and so it's going to be interesting to, to see how he continues to, um, in veiled ways and, and more explicit ways, reach out to the black community without losing his base, which some 
say, you know, is driven a lot by white identity politics and racial resentment. You know, he's watching him pull this off to go through these years. It's just been fascinating to me. And 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 right now at this moment that we're in, it's especially not only interesting but momentous and could have some real consequences. So you know, I'm just I'm I'm watching with you, Larry, and everyone else, and and just uh, with bated breath, you know, hoping that he doesn't make it much worse and seeing how where we're going to go from here. Thank you, Jody, for being with us. I appreciate it. I know you're a man much in demand these days uh, and appreciated seeing you with so many different uh, news outlets. Thank you for coming back. I, I think you're uh, original guest home here on Air Talk here on 89.3. Appreciate it. We appreciate your conversation. Jody Armour, professor, USC School of Law. He has a, a book subtitled Race, Language, Unequal Justice, and the Law, coming out in August. You're listening to Air Talk on 89.3 KPCC. Coming up, University of Redlands professor of political science, Renee Van Vechten. We'll hear what she has to say about the events of the past three days here in Southern California. Back in one minute. Just hearing that about KPCC's COVID-19 coverage makes me think about what we're going to see over the next couple of weeks. There were so many people at the protests uh, or looting that was going on where there was no social distancing. There were protesters standing shoulder to shoulder in many locations. Some of them were doing social distancing last night in Pasadena, for example, at City Hall. I understand about a thousand people that were really spread out observing distancing and most people wearing masks at that event, but many of the others, they weren't uh, distanced from each other and, of course, shouting and all. So um, I guess over the next couple of weeks, it's kind of like a Petri dish. We're going to see we're going to see what the result of that is. And hopefully if we don't see a significant increase in COVID-19, um, that would be a rare, very good sign uh, going forward. So we'll hope that that is the case. Joining us now, University of Redlands Professor of Political Science, Renee Van Vechten. Professor, thank you for being with us this morning. Thanks for having me. Uh, so let me ask you, first of all, about uh, where we are nationally with with the whole um, protest. President Trump uh, says Antifa uh, should be labeled a terrorist organization and that they've been involved with uh, the violence coming out of the protests in many locations. Your response to the framing of that? Well, I think that I think that the other two guests have have started to frame the 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 way that Trump has um, the way that sorry let me start over the way that Trump has framed this is us versus them right it's law and order versus disorder and destruction and in order to do that he needs to create enemies but the unfortunate thing is that he started to create enemies or or continues to de- demonize Democrats left-wing kinds of elements and lump them all together with looters and those who would invite destruction on communities. And so I think as an extension of this, he started to do things like try to designate Antifa as a, a terrorist organization. And of course, trying to do that is is a little bit, uh, there's a big stretch of the imagination that it takes to do that because we don't actually have a domestic terrorism law that would allow Antifa protesters or um 
terrorists, as he's calling them, um, to be prosecuted, he would have to probably create some sort of special um, executive order to do that. But terrorist organizations in the United States are foreign organizations, and the Department of State has a process for designating those sorts of groups. Antifa itself is very uh, well we don't actually know how many people are associated with it because it's not an organization that is an organization right it's a loosely networked group of people it's a movement that was organized to protest white nationalism and white supremacy so the fact that they're disorganized lack leadership don't have a financial structure makes it difficult for law enforcement to actually target them it doesn't mean that they don't have an online social presence though i mean you can find online there are groups that actually do associate but they really haven't organized in a way that would allow them to be targeted um, as a terrorist group per se. But I think this is all sort of in line with the way that um, you know that Trump is trying to assert himself and to elevate himself as someone who is above it all. Um, but but he lacks the moral authority to do so, really. Um, and I think that's why, as as the guest just said, he's not coming out and making a, a statement about race relations because a large segment of the country doesn't believe that he has the moral authority to actually make those sorts of statements credibly. Professor Van Vechten, wanted to ask you about um, the economic aid in the wake of the massive joblessness caused by COVID-19. And now, of course, we've got uh, additional economic uh, toll that's taken place over the past several days um, with with job loss and things that are going to be coming out of this. So uh, where do you think Congress is likely to go with the next round of stimulus? Will there be one? I think it's well. It's likely that the House is going to be passing uh, an aid bill. It's looking a little more likely that the Senate will as well. Uh, small businesses are really crying out for help, but so are cities and states. I mean, our own Governor Newsom has called for upwards of twenty-six million dollars or something from the federal government to plug a budget hole that we're looking at in our own state budget. It's unlikely that President Trump would want to go ahead and, and funnel resources to, to, to states or maybe even cities. Um, I do think that if, if something is going to happen, it's probably going to be more on the order of helping small businesses recover. But we've already spent trillions of dollars. I mean, these are just mind-boggling, mind-boggling kinds of numbers that um, are just going to add to our debt and add to our uh, and to our deficit. So it's going to be difficult to, to recover. And you know, as I've been telling my, my friends and colleagues, it's, you know, we're headed into what I call a little depression. We've gone through the Great Recession. We've gone through the Great Depression. I do anticipate that we're headed toward what we might call a, a little depression. We're talking with Renee Van Vechten, professor of political science at the University of Redlands. Rob Stutzman, Republican political consultant. Uh, Rob, what do you think we're going to see in the way of congressional action? Well, Larry, I think there is a there's a deal that will send money to states, which they desperately need, and there's essential services like education, right, that states provide, not the federal government. So I do think states get money, and I think in exchange for that, uh, there will be a liability protection uh, to private businesses regarding COVID going forward, which they feel like in some instances they desperately need in order to bring employees back to work and customers back into their into their places of business. So I'm still hopeful that there's some bargain there that we'll see in the weeks ahead. And, you know, in Sacramento, where I'm perched now, they can't, you know, they're desperately need to know how much money may or may not be coming from the federal government. So 
the, I think you'll see governors like Gavin Newsom continue to ramp up pressure the best they can on Congress to act. Speaking of Gavin Newsom, we'll be hearing from him in just a couple of minutes live here on KPCC. The state legislature did not return to session today because of demonstrations that were expected to take place around the state capitol. My thanks to University of Redlands political science professor Renee Van Vechten and Rob Stutzman, Republican political consultant and former deputy chief of staff to Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger. You can share your comments on the air talk page throughout the course of the day at kpcc.org remind you after the governor's news conference one o'clock bbc news hour uh, this afternoon at two take two with a martinez and all things considered with nick roman coming your way right here on 89.3 kpcc Thanks so much for joining us, and uh, I also want to thank all who called in, who sent their comments via social media. A really terrific conversation, multifaceted, many different voices that were heard, just as it should be on each day's air talk.